Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Today is Pentecost Sunday. I want to leap right into the study and not beat around the bush. I normally like to visit with you about whatever we need to visit about. The title of, of the study today is a Pure Language, and I want to tell you something. <clears throat> the bulk of this study um, comes from a teaching I listened to by Pastor Robert Morris at Gateway Church. Now, I'm saying that for, for a couple of reasons. The biggest one is, many years ago, uh, a spiritual mentor of mine, Pastor Jack Hayford, um, he I went to, for four or five years in a row, I would go to a workshop that had about 30 pastors, and we would spend seven days with him, I don't know, 10, 12 hours a day. It was just crazy, and he'd just pour into those pastors. And once he was standing there telling the story of how he went to preach uh, um, and teach a sermon, or uh, teach on a given topic, and he said there was just this powerful quote from another pastor that was a friend of his, but he said, um, he said, you know, another pastor said, he said, I knew his name, knew who he was. He said, but for, for the life of me, the pride in me just did not want me to, to say his name. And, and then he made this statement. He says, but here's what God spoke to me. I love this statement. Until we recognize the creativity that the creator has expressed through another, God will give us none of our own. So as it, well, just a matter of whatever, um, and I think otherwise, so whoever pastors may listen to this teaching, even five years or ten from today, because it will flow around online, I pray that the right person just heard that that there's a freedom that comes in acknowledging the diversity and the giftedness of the body of Christ. So that's important for me to make that statement, a matter of personal integrity as a pastor and a teacher of the word as I stand before God. So let's jump in. Acts chapter 2. We're going to talk about Pentecost, three things, okay? And we get through those, uh, this real point of passion comes out on the end. We're going to move quickly, all right? And um, so here we go. When the day of Pentecost had come, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. First thing is in Pentecost, there, it's a language, <clears throat> it is a language of the Spirit. By the way, uh, once again, I'll make this book uh, available to you and for you. And it is a pure language, the same language. Here's what, so let's just jump on this horse and ride it. Why, why do you need this? Why do you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I believe that we will see that animated here. Matter of fact, um, when I prayed over our students, was that two weeks ago? Oh, yeah. I prayed over our students here, graduates, uh, high school graduates. I prayed for them to have an encounter with God because as I have gotten older and experienced, When our faith is simply reduced to an ideology of the mind rather than an experience of the soul, ideologies can be argued against. But I want to say again, 
If you ever have an experience of the soul with the Holy Spirit, there's no, and you've heard me say this a thousand times, a man with an, a person with an experience is never at the mercy of one with a theory. Never. Because there's always this, yeah, I get it. You can argue against it. You can mess with my mind. But in John chapter 9, here's what the guy said. What you can't argue with is that from birth until this moment, you guys knew I was blind. And when he says, who has ever heard, and I love this statement, in the history of the world. I don't know that that phrase is anywhere else in the Bible. Who has ever heard in the history of the world of a man being born blind and now we can see? You see, salvation is likened to that. The blindness, and we can come to where we see. Once you see, once you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, again, you'll see every type of article, debate, social media, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, arguing against matters of faith, but down in your soul, what will be always irrefutable and and immovable is that I had an encounter with God. Pastor Dan, could you go back and give them a hand? That would be great. All right. Thank you. Uh, So Acts chapter two, it's a language. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together. I like King James language. It says in one accord, in one accord, in one place. So the, the word is a bigger word. I'll come back to that in a moment. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. The danger here is that you'll, the word tongues here is used poetically and metaphorically describing a shape. In other words, this, they had little, it looked like fire was on each of them. But it was that, you know, that shape that looked sort of like a tongue. Tra- tragedy is... They spoke in tongues, so we tend to conflate the two together, and they mean two different things in this passage. Everybody got that? Okay. So, and there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues. See, there's a second time. As the Spirit was giving them utterance. Do you get that? They spoke as the Spirit gave utterance. It wasn't invention or repeating syllables. That won't mean anything unless you're all as old as I am and you've lived through the different waves and points. One of them that was popular about 25 years ago is we can teach you how to speak in tongues. Just repeat these syllables and sort of prime the pump. That is emotional manipulation. I've told you from the beginning for as long as we've been here now over 20 years that, or, that, that you won't, that doesn't happen here. That doesn't happen. You won't be emotionally manipulated in any fashion. <clears throat> okay. Now, there were Jews in Jerusalem, devout men of every nation under heaven. And when, they, when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in their own language. I'm going to come back to that. They were hearing them in their own language. Now, whether that meant they were literally speaking their language, that would be the fair conclusion, but we can't hem it in. Okay, so it says they heard them. What they heard and what they were saying may have been something different, but the spirit was at work. And I want to leap to the point that I've taught for many, many years, that that spirit language 
is the language. Matter of fact, let me just cheat. No, I'm going to make you wait for it. Is the, but the, God speaks the language of the broken soul. So let me just say it that way. Oh, here we go. Look. I've used, as often as this thought has come to me, and I probably started doing this 25 years ago, the first person that comes to mind is my wife, Brenda. Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know what sins she may have struggled with, as I've made the joke, other than addiction to peanut M&Ms. But through the years, she has ministered to more people. I mean, she was born again at a very young age and experienced an encounter with the Holy Spirit at a very young age. Uh, just about if you were to ask her as far back as she can remember, she walked with God. Uh, one of her playtime with dolls and Barbies and was not, was not dressing them up to go to the beach. She would line them up and preach to them. So her parents told me, okay. And so <clears throat> that, that I could go on and on there. But I, as I look to my right and I see some of our True Purpose brothers and Restoration House brothers and sisters here today, what's amazed me is the ability of that person, that woman I'm pointing out, my wife, to minister, Pastor Chip, to people of brokenness who have struggled with addiction, something she's never experienced. But can I tell you that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and saturates you, that unknown tongue is not just the glossolalia and frenetic sounding disjointed syllables that come out in some sort of rate. What it is is a language of the broken soul because I've watched her minister healing and deliverance to people she has nothing in common with in terms of a life walked, a path walked, or pain or addiction experience. She can't tell you about that. She can't tell you about being set free. But can I tell you this, beloved? Here's why we want a church full of the Holy Spirit that is full with overflowing of the language of heaven, if you will. Because not just, again, when we speak those words in that static or, or, or uh, um, uh, and often sound frenetic language that we don't know what it means, can I tell you there's the force of the Holy Spirit working through us to reach the people because although there are 17 languages listed here, uh, 17 languages are subgroups and they all heard them. Let me just jump ahead. I got a list here somewhere. Maybe I didn't. Well, good for you. You got off easy. I didn't include this in my notes. The, um, it's the, but it's the language of brokenness, the language of addiction, the language of devastation, the language of abandonment, the language of all of that. You see, that's the common ground. It builds a common ground. Do you know the number of times I've stood here and preached the gospel, preached the word of God, and a person will send me a text message or an email and say, thank you for that sermon, and they'll tell me what they heard. I didn't say that. I didn't think it. It wasn't anywhere on my mind. I've learned just to write back and say, praise God, I'm glad the Holy Spirit ministered to you. They heard that sermon, and they heard something entirely different than I was saying. Why? Because the Spirit of God breathing out, breathing through, breathing the Word of God animates it and applies it, and suddenly it's a point of liberation, freedom, and healing in your life in terms this preacher or no other has ever said. I love that. That was free. There are three myths. Number one... You speak fluently from the first day. I've seen people say one or two syllables 
over and over. I've likened that to be very similar, and not restrictively, but be very similar of a child when they're born and they grow and they learn first their languages a little bit. I do believe over time you will find that that the, whatever phrases, syllabic, phonetically you're saying, that it will begin to grow. And it may not. It may not. See, because, oh my, so many directions to go. When the Bible speaks of the gift of tongues and interpretation, it's not called tongues and translation. It's called tongues and interpretation, okay? And the, uh, what's, what's amazing is I have been in rooms, for instance, where there was an utterance in tongues, and then two or three people would speak afterwards, and you say, which one was right? All of them. All of them. Why? Because they were interpreting, not translating. It's not an, it's not an exact... Uh, anyways, for those of you that have thought about that, there, there's something for you to wrestle with. Myth, no, myth number two, that you can't control it. When Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, one of the verses, uh, matter of fact, let's go ahead and put that up there if you would. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, please. Thank you. <clears throat> I'm skipping ahead from the first one I sent you. For if I pray in a tongue, watch, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What then is the outcome? I will pray with the spirit. Well, I will pray with the spirit, and that should likely be capital S and lowercase s at the same time. I will pray. My spirit will pray through the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the mind also. I could begin to pray in tongues, in the language, if you will, that I feel God birthed in me, I don't know how, 40 years ago, 45 years ago, uh, right now. It doesn't require the Holy Spirit inserting himself in my body like a puppet and animating me. So if you're waiting for God to do that while you're hearing these, as a matter of fact, the very first time I spoke in tongues uh, was at a, I was the last one at the altar, at an altar service in an Assembly of God church in Southern California, a church of several thousand. Everyone had left. I was still there praying. And I was, I just, one of those moments, I just ran out of words. And so I, these little things in my head, and I'm thinking, I'm inventing that. Well, I took the risk to go ahead and pray. He says, I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with my mind, all right? I took the risk of just doing that, and when I did, oh my goodness, I can't tell you what happened. And that's part of the mystery, which, matter of fact, the Bible refers to tongues. By the way, I've said over and over for the last year I want to do a series on the mysteries. Paul uses the term 21 times in seven categories, and broadly, the word mystery in the original language is different than what we use it typically in our language today, And and I thought over time, how to encapsulate what mystery is. And I believe mis- the mysteries, you see it's salvation, incarnation, uh, the tongues, uh, uh, the return of Jesus, uh, end times, eschatology, uh, all of those things, they're mysteries. See, the mysteries in scriptures are the things that we get the general and fuzzy pictures of, but you can't quite ever nail them down and, and put them in a container. I love that part of our faith. I love, anybody get that? It is freeing. 
If you're waiting for the moment when you finally get God all figured out and then it will work, that day will never come, praise God. Okay, let's keep going. Number three, uh, it's just going to jump out of me if God wants me to have it. I've heard people say, if God wants me to have it, the answer is he does. Now, see, I've just crossed a bridge because some of you have grown up in a faith and Christian faith expression that says uh, there are diverse gifts and different ones for different ones. There, I don't know where the teaching is, but I've done, dealt with the teaching of explaining why it appears that tongues is unique of all the gifts and is available to every believer. Matter of fact, I now may be forced to come back and teach on that because I'm sure that'll create questions. But um, there, there is a, a reason, there is a reason for holding that point of truth. Number two, it is a language, it's not just a language, it is a language of the spirit, Okay. I know of no book uh, in the Bible where plucking verses from the context holds a greater sense of possible confusion than the passages dealing with the fullness of the Spirit. And yet we've done that through the years. We've, we've done it in lots of our, our circles. Uh, I'm pausing to see where to go and I'm not being super spiritual. I'm trying to, to decide how much farther I need to, to chase that or take that. I grew up I grew up in a classical Pentecostal holiness, um, faith, Christian faith expression that I believe engendered more pride than it fixed. Because unless you were a tongue-talking believer in Jesus, you were substandard and second class. I was taught that in in more than one church. That was a, a popular connotation. Here's the problem. The moment you begin to think of your life or the kingdom of God in those terms, you've totally missed it. Why do you think Paul would write to the Corinthians? And if you don't know, see, when I say the word Corinthians, Corinthians were the ones, according to Paul, had all the gifts and a boatload of arrogance. And they thought their possession of the gifts made them superior if you had, you know, to everybody else. And then the second Uh, Corinthians, he would write, he says, when you compare yourselves by yourselves, you're without understanding. That word is synesis, and that's a great word that means the flow to meaning, the otherwise disconnected pieces as God begins to assemble them to meaning. What does that mean? It means when I compare myself by others, okay, that means whatever place it is I should be holding, I won't be able to find my place in the flow and move of God's purpose. Did anybody hear what I just said? But that's true of any other expression of faith. When you begin to compare yourself by someone else, I can't pray like that, I can't sing like that, I can't walk, I can't give like that, I can't do what they do. The moment you fall into that, all you're doing is by your own lips abandoning the place that God would otherwise have for you. God says, stop comparing yourselves by yourselves. Find out what he's doing with you and get into that flowing movement of your purpose synchronized with God. Just forget about it. You say, well, I don't speak in tongues. That's okay. Keep talking to God about it. It can happen here during prayer time with people praying for you. It can happen at home by yourself. You can't imagine the testimony. Just keep talking to God about it. Don't be afraid of it. See, some people feel that what Menica is just going to make me do weird things. It won't make you do anything other than you want to do. 
And that's both good and bad. Because when he starts pressing you to do something, you have the choice to not obey and not do what he wants you to do. That's happened to me on several occasions. You said, really? Yeah, in worship services. Through the years, I can cite two or three occasions that God was leaning on me to do something, and my argument was, no, Lord, that's just conspicuous and this and that, and it's emotionally manipulative and all of that. So I get in this argument, and thank God, on a couple of those occasions, about 15 minutes after arguing with God, standing at the keyboard in those instances, while the service was going on, I gave in to the argument and did what it was he wanted me to do that I thought was silly and humiliating. But when I did it, oh my goodness, the release of the spirit that hit other people's lives. So be, be ready for that, all right? <clears throat> a couple of, um, uh, I, I mentioned a moment ago, 1 Corinthians 14, just let me let you see the verse so you can snap a picture of it or whatever you want. But for one who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. In terms of, now I've plucked that, you got to read the whole chapter, we don't have time, but this was, this was addressing how we deal with tongues in the public setting. Now let me say this, people have asked me before, when they come to New Hope, they ask the same question but with a different tonal inflection. They'll come here for a while, all of a sudden something happens and they'll come and say, uh, we're Pentecostal, aren't we? Now. Phrasing number one is somebody that's grown up in classical Pentecostalism. And as they've grown up in classical Pentecostalism, they've heard statements like, man, what a service we had today. There were three, and they would say this, messages in tongues and interpretation. The preacher didn't even preach. That's a good service. When God so shows up that the preacher doesn't preach. And so I've chuckled about that and several other things, okay, that the message in tongues. But notice what God says, and by the way, I'm going to drop some seeds here that may bother some of us who have been in this longer, but we've heard a message in tongues. A message in tongues and interpretation, okay, indicates that God is speaking through the person to the people here. Here's the problem, beloved. There's not one instance in Scripture that supports that. Not one. He says, when we speak an utterance in tongues, we speak to God. Prophecy speaks from God to people. Tongues is from man to God. I'm just saying this is what the Bible says. You do with it what you want. 1 Corinthians 14 breaks that down. Acts chapter 2 gives us the historical point of reference. Okay? And that historical point of reference is that when they spoke in tongues, they heard them speaking their language. What did they hear them doing? Extolling and glorifying God. Which way is that communication moving? It's moving this way. Then Peter turned and they said, what means this? And it said, he began to prophesy by saying, and the prophet Joel said, and then Peter began to be the mouthpiece speaking a word from God to them. Everybody got that? Even the historical narrative supports that. And you say, well, I thought you said it's a mystery. Don't put a tight fence around it. I don't. And so if I'm in a service and some, in a, a public gathering like this where someone, there's an utterance in tongues, and then someone says, thus saith the Lord, in other words, God is speaking from him to us, 
What you're about to hear is a prophetic word. You say, well, no, how do you know that's not the interpretation? Because if I understand what the Bible says, an interpretation is is going to be, Father, we beseech you now. In other words, there's an interpretive moment where that cry of a mystery towards God is unveiled. Paul makes, Paul makes, okay, the, uh, the, the qualification for that in 1 Corinthians 14. Unfortunately, our Pentecostal heritage has dictated otherwise. And when I have preached this or written this online uh, amongst pastors, they just absolutely blow up. Who are you to say that it's a prophecy and not an interpretation? And I would say, I am not. The Bible does. Everybody got that? Why is that even important? It really isn't because I'm interested in that whatever happens. And here's the deal. If we understand that there are scriptures that support that the primary value of, God, of tongues is for encrypt, what I've always called encrypted intercession, if you will, that penetrates the heavenlies and principalities and powers and goes straight to the throne of God. As a matter of fact, very often, almost every time when I'm praying for someone and there's a need, my mind will run up against, I don't know what to say next. That's where Romans chapter 8 comes in. What do you do when you don't know how to pray and you've run out of words and all you've got is a groan? He says, that's okay. The Holy Spirit groans through us, prays for us because he knows the heart of the Father. And almost every prayer I pray for anyone of their, here I'll lean forward and I always check and say, listen, I'm about to pray by the Spirit and intercession for you so you're going to hear something that's strange. I'll always do that. I'll always do that. And I begin to pray in that way. And I believe that something, you can say, well, how does it work? I don't know. It's a mystery. What, what, are you talking about, see, it, it creates more questions than we can answer, and that's what mystery does. But here's the important thing. I don't have to wait to be able to define it in finality in my mind before I'm going to unleash my soul with my spirit through my mouth. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to do that. Okay, let's keep going. That's all free. It's not in the outline. You're getting, getting extra for your money. You can give more in the offering on the way out. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, again, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance, petition for the saints, praying with the Spirit. I do believe that he's referring to not just praying an informed prayer by the Spirit so that we do know how to pray, that is a possibility, but I believe this includes both praying in the Spirit. And so my question is this, for those of you who would say, well, I don't really think it's necessary, I want to ask you this question. Why would you leave a piece of the armor laying on and go, go into battle without all the armor God's given? Watch this in this verse. Let's look at it again, please. Okay, with all prayer. Um, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with all prayer and petitions, pray at all times in the Spirit, You've heard me say that John makes reference to the Word of God being the Word of truth and the Spirit being the Spirit of truth. Beloved, can I tell you those moments, and I pray this way a lot daily, in fact. I pray this way a lot. Father, 
animate the spirit by your spirit. Excuse me. Animate the word of truth by your spirit of truth. The word of truth I've just read, I've just taken in. The word of truth that I'm speaking, may it become alive by the spirit of truth. Everybody got that? There's a whole, le- a whole, a whole other level, I believe. As often as I do this, and especially on a Sunday morning, it creates questions because there's some of you thinking there right now, so does that, hey, Pastor Tom, we just prayed for First Baptist of Sevierville, and they are not a church whose uh, doctrinal construct embraces the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence in speaking in tongues. So does that make them substandard? Can, can I tell you again, Second Corinthians 10, those are questions not worth even fooling with. The moment you do it, your mind's gone someplace. I don't know. It is a mystery. So does that mean their prayers don't count? I'm not saying that at all. I don't believe that at all. Everybody got that? I'm trying to clear away some of the confusion for people because less and less, I just read some statistics fresh this week uh, from Barna that, and, and, uh, of, of, of spirit-filled churches and the number of people um, embracing the fullness of the Spirit with a pursuant evidence of an unknown tongue in your prayer life or otherwise is decreasing by percentage. In other words, and, and I don't know, I really want to dig into that and find out why. It's usually because I guess people think, well, I really don't need that. I can pray and talk to God. You can. But if it's a piece of armor available to you, and specifically a mysterious way of animating the word of the Spirit as the Spirit works through me, why would we not want to pray that way? So I'm going to encourage you more and more. And by the way, there's, I told you there's a brand new emphasis here for the last two years because I am scared to death of what I'm seeing in culture. We're sending our kids out trying to win a battle of ideology and they haven't had an encounter or an experience with the Holy Spirit. We're changing and restructuring everything here from children's ministries to student ministries right straight through. We want to introduce them to an encounter of the Holy Spirit as the earliest age possible. Let's give the Lord praise for that right now. They need it. In Genesis chapter 11, there's an interesting passage and a phrase is used, the same language. Now, the whole earth used the same language. This is at the tower of what they call the Tower of Babel or Babel, however you care to pronounce it. Uh, and the, the, the whole year, excuse me, the whole earth used the same, la- same language. Everybody say the same language. And the same words. It came about as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar there, and settled there and said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone. And they're speaking, by the way, of ingenuity here. Uh, and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach to the heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. I I can't dig into this passage this morning. We just got to jump off of it to where we're headed. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, behold, there are people and they all have the same language. And this is what they begin to do. And now nothing uh, which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come down, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. I've just read you a, que- a passage that has created more questions than I have time to answer. But I want us to skip again, 
Clearly what he's saying, when they're speaking the same language, when they're in one mind, if you will, there's no telling what they can do. In the minor prophets, Zephaniah is prophesying the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he says, for then I will give to the people this in the Hebrew, this purified lips is the same as same language. A purified language or a pure language, it's the same Hebrew as Genesis 11.1, 1, that, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder or in one accord. Does anyone remember what we've read that happened on the day of Pentecost? They were gathered in one place in one accord and they all began to speak in tongues. You said it wasn't the same language. 17 different people heard different 17 different language. It was one language from heaven that became a multiplicity of expressed grace that we can't even calculate. I don't know what syllabic or phonetic structure each of them uttered, but I believe that it was very, very different for each of them. But you say, well, yeah, it's those languages. It may not have been. It may have been what they heard. That's why I say, if you're facing situations that you don't know how to address, how to handle, or how to even speak to in your own life or the life of another, there is a language that communicates. Oh, you want me to go up and want me to lay hands on people and say tie to bow tie 10 times in a row? No. I'm wanting you to be in prayer with your spiritual, spirit language before you ever open your mouth to them. You're going to have words of heaven spoken through vehicles and vessels of grace that's unique to the need of the people you're encountering. Matter of fact, if you're surrounded by someone that you say, I don't know how to get through to them. Anybody here had a family member like that except me? Okay. I I raised this child. Don't even know how to get through to them. But my wife and I would gather together. We would pray in the spirit. And where we didn't have words five minutes before, words of grace, words of life, words that would penetrate a shield of resistance to the possibility of the life of Christ that could otherwise be animated. Matter of fact, I'll go ahead and tell you my son's testimony. In my son, resisted it over and over, time and time again, every time, not once, not twice, not five times, But time after time, when the adversary would breathe whispers of lie, of decimation, brokenness, hurt, pain, unrealized possibility, suspicion towards God, and we would get together, join hands, pray by the Spirit, and then we would begin to speak. Suddenly there was another word, another life, and one more time it would come to life and speak right to where he was. Our God never fails. Okay, Acts 2, verse 17. Can you find that for me, Amanda? I don't think I I used that one yet. Man, I got a lot more to tell you. Acts 2, 17, okay. This is Peter offering an explanation, by the way, when the people heard them speaking in their own language and said, those guys are drunk. I love the statement that shows up in the verses before. And he says, men of Jerusalem, these men are not drunk, for it's the middle of the day. We wait until the night to get drunk. Uh, That's not what it says. 
it says, these men are not drunk for it's the middle of the day, but the inference is nonetheless hilarious to me, okay? They're not drunk. It's the middle of the day. Everybody knows you don't drink at noontime, right? Okay. <laughs> oh, I'll just leave that alone. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I'll pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, your sons and your daughters, okay? Now, that's not only generations, but gender. In other words, son... Here's the thing that messed with me 40 years ago, first year in ministry, a little island in the Bahamas. I'm over in that building by myself, reading Acts 2, the little tiny church, praying, and it hit me. That hit me, Pastor Don. That just messed with me, and there were no books for me to get, nothing to get on when I thought, see, because I was, I was raised in a, 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 a faith ethic or a faith practice that subordinated women. And when I hit this, I thought, what the... There's a whole new economy of engagement. By the way, the Holy Spirit doesn't make us unisex. It doesn't erase the distinction of gender of man and woman. It simply says your place of engagement in the kingdom is no longer defined or limited by your gender, but by the gift that I put in you by the Holy Spirit. And the last time I checked, he didn't limit the gifts based on gender. So watch this. He said, your sons and daughters, that's not only generation, but that's gender. Your young men shall see vision. Your old men shall, she, shall, shall see dreams, shall dream dreams, excuse me. Even my bond slaves, both men and women. Now, there's a big F reference there because the bond slaves were typically people of a different genetic construct. So what is he saying inferentially? Watch. That when the spirit comes, there's no longer a delineation of gender. By the way, what I'm praying this week in our arts camp that starts this evening for our students is that they awaken on their side because you see these young ones coming up are being told by culture. Those old people are illegitimate. They don't have any idea. They weren't born in a social media age. They don't get it. They're silly. But in the spirit-filled Pentecostal church, there's no generation gap. We speak the same language. We may use different phrase and different cool terms or whatever that the young ones know that the old ones don't. That's fine. doesn't make any difference because that's not our primary language. Our primary language is one of the spirit. And when we're tongue-talking people from young to old right through, again, we may have grown up under generational, different generational language, but we're unified. And last time I checked, that pure language that Zephaniah prophesied said when everybody's speaking the same language, we create the same wonderful problem is Genesis 11. Watch. When we're all speaking the language, there's same language. There's no telling what we can do. There's no limit to what we can do. But we spend time fighting over generation, over gender, and over genetics. We still do. And the church of Jesus Christ should be a place where no racism exists. None. Zero. Zero. Take your finger, do it like that, and turn to the person next to you and say, zero. Now, I want you to look, I want you to look at the person next to you and say, if there, I mean this, I'm going to say it first and you say it. If there is any residue in your heart concerning people of another race, you need to get God's language on this. Tell them that. Tell each other. Go. Anybody hear what I'm saying? Anybody hear what I'm saying? Mm, okay. So I got a list of things here. People of Pentecost are never too young to see and never too old to dream. 
That means we're going to hear things of the Spirit from my grandchildren, and I have. People of Pentecost are never too young to count and never too old to matter. Do you understand that's the whisper of culture? Oh, you're not old enough to do that. Read Jeremiah. Oh, well, you're too old. Your days are gone. Not so. Read about Abraham. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. People of Pentecost, your gender won't restrict you from expressing God's highest purpose in and through you. And can I say here at New Hope, that is an absolute that we embrace. I'll get some emails. That's fine. Email me. I'll respond back. I don't believe that there are functions in the kingdom that are limited by gender. And two or three texts from the New Testament, no doubt, will come to mind. Email me about those. We'll talk. Okay? People of Pentecost... There's no social or economic status that is a primary indication of viability. You see bond slaves? People of Pentecost, generation gaps are constantly challenged. They're not allowed to exist. Differentness and diversity, yes. Amen. How many know the generation coming up has a perspective on life in the world we didn't have simply because of the reality? Let's celebrate that. You see, we pray, oh, if we could go back to those days. Look at me. Those days are gone. They're gone. God says, don't look back. I'm looking forward. I've got something new for you, ahead of you. Let's join the look forward. People of Pentecost, the dreams of the heart of the older are not threatened by the vision of the young. And the vision of the young are not threatened by the dreams of the older. The vision of the young will come to embrace. My my goodness, God's word says you're never too old to dream. I'm going to be writing songs with the generation that comes up until I die. And they're going to sit there and they're going to shake their head and be amazed that an old man as decrepit as I am could possibly come up with anything that just moved them. And I will celebrate a reciprocation from their side of the contribution. Somebody needs to hear me. People of Pentecost are not intimidated by the vision of today. People of Pentecost, the vision of the young will value the dreams of the old. We share a common language. Generational differences do not have the final voice. Listen to me, because we have the pure voice, the voice of the Spirit. Why do we need that? You can, can I tell you that? Okay, that will go too far down the path. When we are people of Pentecost speaking heaven's language, do you get that? The voice of a generation gap doesn't have the final voice because we have the final voice from heaven. Gen- number two, generational different, gender differences do not have the final voice because we share a pure voice, one voice. Genetic differences do not have the final voice, color of skin, ethnicity, race, whatever, because we have a common language. I've often laughed that when Peter uses the concept of genetic, a genetic term, he, he calls them holy. We're a holy, holy race. And this is the guy that was still prejudiced 11 years after the upper room. So what does that tell us? You can be a tongue-talking Christian and still hold God off at issues. 11 years after he was there, spoke in tongues and spoke the words I'm citing. God said, I I need you to go speak to this Gentile group over here because they need to receive the spirit. And he goes, "It's it's for the Jews. Anybody get what I'm talking about? Why would God use a racist as a primary mouthpiece in Acts 2? 
Isn't that an amazing thing? That he spoke truth he wasn't even yet able to embrace. Look at me. When you begin to have heaven's language, you'll find yourself speaking things, saying things that you're going to struggle with in your own self. Anybody hear me? Mm. We are indeed different, but our differentness is synchronized by an internal harmony. By the way, that's what the word together means. It means a synchronized, a rush of notes, a rush of notes. You know, that's, that's a rush of notes. All of these notes, by the way, are different right here. All of these notes. All of them. That's seven different notes. Isn't that cool? Now, you say, well, but you can play some notes that are dissonant and don't sound right. It's when to play them. And that also plays into our understanding of the gift. There's a time for this gift. There's a time for that gift. As a matter of fact, when Paul offers instruction and says, seek the best gift, and he, said, and he gives the example of prophecy in that situation, we've made the mistake of saying prophecy is the better gift. No, he's saying prophecy is the better gift for the moment. But a person, watch, if you have the gift of mercy, if a person is devastated and in need financially and doesn't know what they're going to do, indeed, we can pray for them. But if you pray for them, it, it doesn't make any difference if they say, man, I, I got a flat tire and this and that, and I need $75 for a new tire, and, and we begin to pray in tongues. How I many know that's not the better gift? Find somebody with a gift of mercy and say, I need $75. That's a gift. That's a gift. Did you know giving is one of those? Don't shout me down. You say, you're scaring me now. Okay? Giving is one of those. All right. I think I'm going to be done here. A Pentecostal church should be a church where walls come down and we stand on common ground. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.